Hello, and welcome back to the Antiplatelet Patient Focus Podcast. Today, Professor Story and Dr. Benaco will discuss another patient case study. Now over to the experts. Hello, and welcome to this presentation. Um, my name is Rob Story from Sheffield in the UK. I'm an interventional cardiologist with interest in antithrombotic therapy, clinical trials. And I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Benaco. Uh, Mark, perhaps you can introduce yourself uh, well, Rob, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I'm a uh, cardiologist and vascular medicine physician at University of Colorado in the United States. I'm a professor of medicine and director of vascular research and have had the pleasure of working on trials with you in, in this space, looking at antithrombotic therapies for prevention. Great. Thank you. So, yeah, it's a real pleasure to discuss with you this case that I'm going to present now, patient with ST elevation myocardial infarction. So this is a 68-year-old male admitted with inferior STEMI, has a history of chronic kidney disease, and his EGFR on admission was 46, so stage 3 CKD. He has a history of hypertension. His hemoglobin is 108 grams per liter, i.e. below the lower limit of normal, with normal MCV. There's a prior history of diverticulitis and previously had been admitted to hospital with anemia and positive fecal occult bloods two years ago with colonoscopy showing only diverticular disease and OGD at that time or EGD as I guess you say was normal. Hematinics show folate just below the lower limit of normal as we often find in some of these patients and normal iron status and B12. An echocardiogram showed moderate left ventricular systolic dysfunction with an injection fraction estimated at 45%. So for treatment of his primary, uh, for his inferior STEMI, he was transferred immediately to the cath lab for primary PCI, which was performed a dominant right coronary artery. Large stent 4.0 by 32 millimeters drug eluting stent was implanted with excellent deployment. And the patient was kept in for stage PCI to severe mid-LAD disease with three by 18 millimeter drug looting stent. So the patient received aspirin and ticagrelor loading at the time of the procedure. Aspirin was given in the ambulance before arrival and was discharged also on atorvastatin, ramipril, amlodipine for management of the hypertension, as well as folic acid for replacement therapy. And at six weeks follow-up, no chest pains, tolerating medication, and the EGFR remained fairly stable, as did the hemoglobin, which was slightly increased on the previous level. So no evidence of ongoing bleeding. So a few questions here. So, so Mark, what do you think about the antiplatelet therapy for this patient. Yeah, well, thank you, Rob. Well, you know, I think he, this is a high-risk individual, um, you know, over 65, chronic kidney disease, um, you know, has some LV dysfunction and, and is showing up with an acute plaque rupture, STEMI, so high-risk, has multivessel coronary disease. And so I, I agree with uh, aspirin and a potent P2Y12 inhibitor and, and ticagrelor here is probably what I would choose too. Um, and I think otherwise, uh, management looks very good. You know, I might 
sort of you know query around the lipids, for example, and, and whether an A1C was checked, which I'm sure it was, but from an antithrombotic therapy perspective, this looks quite appropriate. You know, I suppose the the challenge is that there are a couple of uh, concerning features here for bleeding, and um, you know, I'm very happy to see at six weeks that the patient is tolerating therapy and hemoglobin stable. You know, I might start to wonder about um, you know longer term strategies, but I think the initial management uh, it, it looks very good, and the six week follow up is reassuring. And so, in terms of choice of the P2Y12 inhibitor, um, we've got this sort of increased bleeding risk, chronic kidney disease. And we've got the evidence from ISR React 5. Does that sort of influence your practice at all? It's a great question. ISR React 5 got a lot of attention. You know, I think that, um, you know, it was an ambitious study to ask a lot of questions, uh, you know, overall. And, and, you know, congratulations to those investigators. I, I do think that there were some limitations of the study and there were multiple differences between the arms. And I certainly did not conclude from that personally that there was any difference in the, the P2Y12 inhibitor study. That, that would, of course, take a, an enormous trial to really understand. And I, I sort of base my selection based on the pivotal trials like Plato and Triton, where, um, you know, I think this patient, you, you could have you utilized either, but I, I certainly think the data for ticagrelor from Plato, including the mortality benefit, are, are quite compelling. So that's probably what I would have utilized here. So, yes, yeah, so we, we have a choice of ticagrelor or prasugrel uh, loading at the time of the procedure in, in this patient. Um, not mentioned here was whether they'd received morphine or another opiate for the um, inferior STEMI. Uh, many of our patients do receive morphine and uh, that can lead to delayed absorption, uh, which seems to increase the risk of acute stent thrombosis. And so, for, for any of the P2Y12 inhibitors, we'll usually use uh, an intravenous parenteral antithrombotic therapy strategy to for six hours to prevent uh, acute stent thrombosis in morphine-treated patients. But I agree with you. The the evidence sort of for ticagrelor versus prasugrel in this setting is is not very clear-cut. Observational data suggesting their equivalent efficacy, and that goes along with the um, uh, antiplatelet uh, effects, they both have potent uh, levels of P2Y12 inhibition and uh, both very effective at preventing stent thrombosis. Of course, I guess the in this case, the patients previously bled from their bowel. Um, if they were to have a bleed related to dual antiplatelet therapy, is there an advantage to having a reversible drug? Uh, I guess that's a difficult one because you wouldn't want to reverse too much of the antiplatelet effect in someone who's just had a stent put in. So uh, that sort of commits you to potent platelet inhibition unless you're really forced to uh, de-escalate by uncontrollable bleeding. So then there's the question, how long should we continue dual antiplatelet therapy in this patient? What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, I think that given all of the data around different strategies, um, you know, we really have the opportunity to personalize. And when I look at this patient, you know, I am concerned about bleeding, but but also very high ischemic risk. And so I, I think, you know, I'd want to be thoughtful and engage the patient in shared decision making. Um, certainly, gastrointestinal bleeding is something that has my attention. And I think given 
you know, the history of a prior hospitalization. You know, we can discuss the, the labs around the anemia, but just the observation of being anemic is, is important here. Um, you know, I, I would have on my sort of thought um, uh, and discussion plan with the patient the notion of, of potentially you know, mitigating bleeding risk. I think probably the, the most obvious strategy or the best supported strategy here would be to, to drop aspirin earlier, you know, at three months or six months in this patient. Uh, we know that aspirin is associated with high rates of gastrointestinal bleeding, has direct GI toxicity. And we know from well-conducted studies that the the strategy of ticagrelor monotherapy does, doesn't appear versus DAPT with ticagrelor and aspirin doesn't appear to be associated with a, a really uh, a high ischemic risk at least. So, so I, I would start talking about that with the patient sort of weighing risk and benefit. How, how about you? Yeah, I think this is a really tricky one. So, I mean, Twilight ACS, for example, showed no penalty from dropping to ticagrelor monotherapy, stopping the aspirin at three months after PCI for ACS. On the other hand, when we look at twilight overall in the CKD subgroup, the point estimate is in favor of dual therapy and the, the relative risk with dual therapy is not dissimilar to the relative risk you saw with dual therapy versus aspirin monotherapy in Pegasus. So we know CKD drives high ischemic risk and, uh, and we know that dual therapy with aspirin ticagrelor was particularly effective in the uh, Pegasus population, wasn't it? So, so, so that makes it a tricky one. But I, I guess in this case, we've got this history of anemia and prior hospitalization for bleeding, both of which are concerns in terms of long-term dual therapy. So I think on balance, it seems reasonable to um, use ticagrelor monotherapy to limit the risk of bleeding from three months based on the uh, monotherapy trials that we've seen and based on the fact that the patient had well-deployed stents, there wasn't any concern about stent deployment. I think it's a different matter if you've got a patient with calcified arteries and, and there's been some challenge with getting the stent well-deployed. Uh, I think those are the patients where there's some concern about their stent thrombosis risk beyond three months. But in those where we get excellent stent deployment uh, and whether you use sort of stent boost or uh, intervascular imaging to uh, assess that, I think there's some doubts on sort of optimal techniques. But, um, you know, if you've had an excellent result sort of angiographically from PCI, then uh, that's certainly reassuring about the risk of stent thrombosis from three months onwards and, and so monotherapy is a you know sort of possibility from that stage what do you think about the latest evidence on clopidogrel monotherapy well it's a great question rob because as you as you know there, there are different strategies for de-escalation one could go to aspirin monotherapy one could change to aspirin and clopidogrel or one could go to clopidogrel monotherapy yeah, I think for me, um, certainly aspirin monotherapy, you know, I'd be worried about GI bleeding. So I, I think I probably wouldn't um, endorse that strategy. And I think P2I12 inhibition is important in this type of patient. Clopidogrel, on the other hand, um, you know, it is, I think, often looked at as a less potent P2I12 inhibitor. In fact, it is. But I think the more critical issue is the degree of variability. And for any individual patient, 
we just don't know what level of protection they'll get with about 30% essentially unprotected. And so I, that, that also would make me uncomfortable either as, as DAP, but certainly with clopidogrel monotherapy. So I, I think for me, um, you know, wanting to, to make sure that we have P2Y12 inhibition on board, I would select a, a very reliable or predictable agent, maybe is a better word, um, and I wouldn't be comfortable with clopidogrel here. What, what do you think? No, I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, there's clear evidence recently from the StopDAP to ACS2 um, uh, and the preceding StopDAP study that, um, you know, sort of clopidogrel <clears throat> monotherapy is, um, you know, not a good idea uh, early on. I mean, host, host exam looking sort of six to 18 months down the line after ACS suggested that uh, clopidogrel was more effective at preventing ischemic events versus aspirin monotherapy. So, so I think that is interesting. Um, I, I think we don't absolutely know all the mechanisms of benefit for clopidogrel because it does have a sort of very weak uh, uh, effect on inflammatory markers that could impact on long-term effects. Uh, and potentially shift the balance in its favor versus aspirin. But, um, you know, clearly this variability in antiplatelet effect with clopidogrel is a major concern if you're focused on coronary thrombosis risk. Uh, and particularly if there's any ongoing stent thrombosis risk, then you don't want to be relying on clopidogrel monotherapy. So, yeah, I think, you know, we probably need more evidence because um, particularly looking at all-cause mortality, be nice to have better data for aspirin versus clopidogrel monotherapy in that regard. But I think ticagrelor monotherapy is a nice option here um, because there is this risk of bleeding, but there's also the high ischemic risk. And, um, uh, and you want to know exactly where you are in terms of platelet admission. Uh, and so, you know, there isn't the issue of poor response to ticagrelor to, to be concerned about. So, so I think that is attractive in that sense. So I think that's some, some great uh, discussion there, Mark. Thank you. And, and of course, you've been instrumental really in pointing out some of the sort of issues with anemia and prior hospitalization for bleeding as risk factors um, for bleeding that attenuate the treatment effect of dual antiplatelet therapy and, uh, and shift the balance away from long-term dual antiplatelet therapy, particularly, you know, beyond the first 12 months of treatment. Uh, and so I think this case sort of illustrates that point nicely and also demonstrates some of the challenges we have when we want to individualize therapy. We have to look at all these patient characteristics to try and get a balance for ischemic risk versus bleeding risk and use that to judge whether it's right to de-escalate treatment um, which can include dropping aspirin from three months onwards, uh, as well as making the decision from the sort of default 12 months, you know, treatment uh, as to what to do after that. So I'd like to thank you, Mark, for your contribution there and um, thank the audience for your participation. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on antiplatelet therapies, please visit medthority.com. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where the experts will discuss major challenges and key considerations for antiplatelet treatments.